Minal. So it's wonderful to have you uh, with me this evening. This is uh, Women Rising. It's my new podcast, On the Sofa with Rouge, is my series. And thank you very much uh, for joining me. It's it's brilliant to have you along. Um, one of the main reasons I wanted to have you along is because you're a fellow Gibraltarian. And uh, we all know you because you are on the front cover of British Vogue as one of the 20 top remarkable activists. Now, that is something incredible and something a lot of um, people look, look up to you for, which I think is amazing. But I, I want to start at the, at the very beginning. Um, tell me about Jib and growing up in Gibraltar. Firstly, Michelle, thank you for your lovely compliments and thank you for having me on as well. It's a pleasure to to sit down here with a fellow Gibraltarian as well and have a chat about life. Um, what was your question again? <laughs> so my question is, I, wa- I want to talk to you about your connection to Gibraltar. I mean, right. I know you live in London, but I also know that your family are here in Jib, your brother, and I think your parents live in Jib most of the time anyway, because you, you do mention in your podcast, Minal's World, that your mum comes over or your dad comes over and they help yeah. you with your with Radhika. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm assuming they come and go. But I, I want to know about your your roots. Were you born in Gibraltar and were you brought up here? Sure. So I, I was born and raised in Gibraltar. I'm, I'm purebred Janita, as they say. Well um, done. <laughs> my, my parents uh, moved to Gibraltar about, I would say, 35 years ago-ish, more or less. Um, and... After my parents got married, they settled down and my brother and I, we were both raised there. And, you know, it's for me, it's a really important part of my life, Michelle, because it really it really made me who I am today. Uh, when I was born there and raised there amongst the community that we yes. have, yes. everybody was it was all about helping and giving um, and really sharing everything we have to help the community in a wider sense. Yeah. And I've always carried that value through, uh, throughout my life at medical school. I studied in Czech Republic and then throughout my time here in the UK as well. And I think that sense of togetherness has always given me a hope that it is possible to have a United Nation. It is possible to have a country where people get on no matter what your skin color is, no matter where you're from, uh, no matter what food you eat. Um, And that's why when I came to the UK and I started to see the systemic injustices and the differences that people were put under because of their skin color, because where they came from, especially during the pandemic, I realized that it wasn't okay. And I wasn't, I wasn't happy with that to be normalized. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I wanted to know what, I suppose you saw quite a lot of this as you were studying to become a doctor. What, What inspired you, first of all, to become a doctor? And, and what kind of things, you know, while you were studying, uh, made you, you know, helped you develop into the person that you are today? Well, I've always had a sense of that feeling that I've always wanted to help people, Michelle. And I think the the reason I became a doctor was because part of my, part of my life and part of my upbringing has all been about not just serving everybody around me, but also serving my parents. And my parents saw a very difficult life in India. Um, my dad grew up in the slums of Delhi. He barely yeah. had a pen to do his homework. Um, Gosh. He'd eat like uh, leftover food from the kitchens at night just to survive. 
Um, and wow. he, he lived in a really small room with his six other siblings and his parents. Gosh. Um, so he, he barely had any food to eat, but somehow mm. uh, he studied really hard and he became a chartered accountant through the help of one of his teachers who saw the potential he had and they, you know, they helped him with his finances. And he ended up getting a really honorable degree at a very young age. Um, wow. He skipped through a lot of years at university because he was just too intelligent. Um <laughs> And he ended up in Gibraltar after qualifying and he unfortunately couldn't carry on his job as a chartered accountant because of visa issues and coming to a new country. He just had to find a job, anything just to pay the bills. Um, and it was quite a, quite a similar story with my mother as well. Uh, my mother comes from a very traditional background as well in the sense that women at that time weren't encouraged to study. They weren't yeah. encouraged to uh, move on from that same sort of template that's made mm. for them about life, which is when you're 17, 18, we start looking for a man for you and you get married at 20 and you have kids and you just repeat the process. Um, my mother was a very stubborn, a very stubborn woman. And she said, <laughs> look, I actually want to study and I want to make a life for myself before I get married. So she became a professor in geography. She was wow. very highly qualified. Yeah. But then the same thing happened. So when she came to Gibraltar, she gave everything up and she be, just became a housewife. And she just raised my brother and I also that we have a better life. And I always think about that every day. Every day I go into work, every day I'm with my, my do own daughter, every day that I'm having even the most difficult days, I always think, well, my parents have built such a, have built such a strong base for all of us. Yeah, they've been such an, an example to you, I suppose. Yeah, and, and more, moreover, Michelle, you know, in Gibraltar, we were completely alone, just my parents, my brother and I. Yes. So we had nobody around to help us. We had no family around. We just sort of had to get on with it, really. Yes, and, um, you, had, and you had a happy time. It was a really happy community-based um, time where, you know, you felt, I suppose, um, part, of a, part of a great community. And Yeah, it was. And sorry, Michelle, um, my daughter's just walked in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I really apologize. Um, no, it's fine. Hold on. Hello, Radhika. Are you, are you okay Hello. if she just sits with me and then yeah, you know, absolutely. She, won't, she won't make much noise? Um, no, absolutely. It's lovely to have her along too. <laughs> Why not? So, uh, yeah, so I, I think that that sense of community was, was really important to not just, not just believe, not just to go back to my own beliefs, but also to... Oh, okay, Michelle, can you give me one second? I'm just going to take yeah. Radhika back downstairs. Sure, sure. Th this is not going to work out. One second. <laughs> okay. Okay, Michelle, I'm okay, back and I'm ready. <laughs> okay, perfect. So let's start with um, another question. So what inspired you to be a doctor? Yeah, so as I, as I mentioned, my, my parents worked incredibly hard to build their life and a life for myself and my brother. And I feel like it's always been a dream of the family to always have a doctor in the family. Um, and I didn't quite mind taking that responsibility on because it's something that I've always loved to do to serve the community and to help people around me. Um, whether it was from a medical perspective, from a teaching perspective, I just wanted to help people. Um, so there's no like definite answer for that, Michelle, really. I wish there was, but I really just wanted to help people. <laughs> okay. And you studied, you said you studied in the Czech Republic. So uh, I suppose you you went to what you did your degree in in England like no I suppose you did your A levels here in Jib, and then went yeah. off to uni like everybody else goes off to the UK to university, and how did yeah. you end up in the Czech Republic? 
Well, at that time, Michelle, it was interesting because I'd done my A-levels and then um, I applied for medical school and I didn't get a place. Um, so I took a gap year. And That's interesting. Yeah. And in that because gap, that happens, that happens a lot from what I've been hearing because my daughter's going through her A-levels right now. Yeah. So you have to always get the right advice from the right people at the right time. Um, and if you get the wrong advice from the wrong people, it can really change the course of your life. Uh, we, it just hmm. changes the whole trajectory of the next five, 10 years, especially when you're like 17, 18, that really tender age, that formative age where you're trying to build your life. Um, and I still remember some people suggesting to study something else like biomedical science or some other science just to, I guess, have that certificate and have that degree at the end of the day. Um, but I really stuck to my guns. I said, like, I really believe I can actually make this happen. I can actually be a doctor. So I took a gap year um, and I spent six months in Mozambique in Africa and oh, wow. I was there on a voluntary voluntary program where I was helping people from the the village to sort of build a sustainable life. And I was in a very remote village, like there was no electricity, no running water. Um, people were really suffering. And my biggest realization at that time, Michelle, was that my father had lived the same thing decades ago. And it was almost yes. like everything had come full circle and I was sort of experiencing what he had. Only thing was I could actually just run away from it all because it was only six months. And my father and everybody else in Mozambique, you know, they actually lived through it. So hmm. that that was a very important time for me because I realized that, well, the world isn't just about going into school, getting your GCSEs, getting your A-levels, getting a degree and that's it. Like there's just so much more happening that I can be a part of and I can help with. So I, I did my, my voluntary program and then there was an option to go to Czech Republic because we had some friends who were there and I thought, you know what, I had such a great time traveling in Mozambique and I learned so much. I was out of this whole bubble of not just Gibraltar, but just generally, you know, that age when you're 17, 18, everything you really just feel is about you. Like I'm going to uni, I'm going to get my degree, I'm going to have my own life and that's it. Um, and I re was really trying to sway away from that kind of thinking. Um, I really wanted to explore more because I knew that that was going to be pivotal in my own personal growth. Fantastic. So you, you enjoyed your time in the Czech Republic and then you came back to London and um, you married or were you already married? No, so I met my husband Nishant at Czech Republic. So, ah, okay. Yeah, so I was in my my first year and he was in his fifth year. So um, when I was in my second year, he was just getting ready to finish off and leave. So he mm. came to the UK and he started working and we were apart for four years. Um, yeah. And I look back at that and I just think that's just crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, especially because but, I mean, I've never spoken about this before, or mainly because nobody's really asked or it's never been something I've had to talk about, but he was the first man I, I met and he's the first man I got in a relationship with. Um, wow. And within that's, yeah. Yeah. And then within a couple of months, we were just we just had to go through this test of, right, you've got four years apart. How are you going to grow together? Um, and that was really difficult because he was living a completely different life here where he was setting up his own career. You know, he was thinking about stuff like how buying a house or paying rent. And I still, you know, I was still in like my student sort of brain, just trying to enjoy mm. life, just trying to get on with stuff and not really worried about anything. So I think that <laughs> those four years were were very... It was very testing, but I think those four years meant that 
almost meant that like if we could have gone if we went through that really difficult time now we look at any problem we have not just within our marriage but with our kids or with our family we think well those four years kind of set us up so we can face anything absolutely absolutely and it shows that you were meant to be it was all meant to happen that way well that's so. what they all say michelle i mean yeah. <laughs> like, you just, never know you never it, know you can make it sound like so, a nice story if you want to <laughs> yeah it's a nice story of course we it's it's good to know all these things that's what makes you the person you are today so that's what i'm trying to to find out and um you're a passionate advocate for the nhs and um how did that come about i mean I, I, before before the photo was taken and you went to demonstrate at downing street i mean were you were were you an activist before that? Well, Michelle, I think it's... I mean, you said that I'm a passionate activist for the NHS. I, that's that's true. It's not not true. But I would say I'm more passionate about, about justice. I'm more passionate about mm. the truth. Um, I'm more passionate about speaking truth to power rather than anything else. And it can, that can be in any context. We just happen to be in that context of the pandemic and the NHS. Um when I went outside Downing Street, it was because Nurse Mary, a black pregnant woman, had passed away. And yes. throughout the weeks building up to that, you know, we were looking at how ethnic minority groups, especially in the UK, were getting you know, disproportionately affected as opposed to their white British counterparts. And just lots of dodgy things happening in my work where, you know... I was asking for like answers and they just weren't giving it to me and they were just trying to avoid my questions and everyone was just trying to protect the NHS and they were just trying to protect their managers and protect all the lives and it just didn't sit right with me. It just didn't sit right with me. Mm-hmm. And going back to your question about have I always been an activist, I think first thing I'd like to say is that <laughs> my parents uh, were interviewed by GBC. They made like a very, very short documentary on me and I have to say, it was so beautifully produced. Um, it actually made me very, very emotional because that's when they interviewed my parents for the first time. Um, no one's really spoken to my parents on TV. Um, but my dad my dad actually said, you know, Meenal has always been that person to say, no, this is not right. And Meenal has always been that person to say, you know, we, Meenal, we need to change something if, if people are getting affected by it. So I think it always, it's always, Michelle, sorry, can you hear her crying? <laughs> Don't worry, I can hear her. She's yeah. crying out for you. Yeah, I think we're, we're okay. It's because I've been You're at, right? Yeah, it's only because I've been at work all day, right? So uh, that's why course, she probably, yeah. Sure. Um, but yeah, anyway, back to, back to what I was saying. I think that yeah. the, the, the idea of being an activist is, isn't everybody. Everybody has something they believe in. Everybody has something they feel they should fight for. Um, it's just tr- trying and, to find it. And I, I just happened yeah, to find it a couple of years ago. Yeah. And you felt extremely strongly and you took yourself down heavily pregnant to Downing Street and stood there. How, how long did you actually stand there for? Um, I was there for about a couple of hours. Okay. Um, and long, eno- long enough to be noticed. ESV Hassan & Co are proud to sponsor this podcast. Qualified accountants providing professional and experienced accountancy, audit and tax services. ESV Hassan & Co, caring for your Gibraltar business. Contact us on 200 71610 or inquiries at esvhco.com. Yeah, and actually when I when I when I when I was there, I I remember 
people were waving waving at me as they were driving past. Uh, people were hooting in the cars, like just to support me and saying, "Actually, we love me," and we were saying that we <laughs> we actually we actually believe in you. And I think that was the most reassuring thing that it almost felt like everybody had the same idea. Everybody wanted to say the same thing, but maybe either people were too scared or they felt that picking up wouldn't make a difference. And and while you were there, um, a Guardian, was it a Guardian newspaper um, chap took a photo of you. Is that what uh, catapulted you to, to the front cover of the Vogue or how did that come about? Well, what happened, what happened was... Michelle, I'm so terribly sorry. This never happens. <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm, I've given your producer too much work today. <laughs> um, but uh, what, what had happened? What, okay, let's, Michelle, I'm just going to give her a coloring pen and then hopefully yeah. she'll be okay. Um, okay. What, what, what had happened was, Michelle, is that when I was standing out there, someone had taken a photo um, and I didn't know they were there. There were some photographers there, there, there anyway because lots of journalists were walking around Downing Street, Westminster Parliament anyway. Yeah, because this was in the middle of COVID, wasn't it? Yes, this was April. This was April 2020. Mm. So people, people, people were around Downing Street anyway. People were, you know, journalists were walking around Parliament, Westminster, trying to get hold of MPs, trying to ask some questions, just trying to do the usual news bulletin stories. And when I was stood out there, Michelle, I still remember that mm. just a few days before that, when I was at home watching the news and people, people were talking about the the, death, the, the deaths of of healthcare workers and. They were just going up as statistics, like one healthcare worker has died, two, and it, there was no like story behind the the person, um, and yeah. they were just coming up as numbers, and that that did not sit right with me because these are all these are all real people with real stories, yeah. and the impact of their death is going to stay forever with their families. Um, so that didn't sit right with me that we were just watching it on the news and. I was coming back from work and I was just sitting and watching it. Like, I just couldn't do that. See, so you felt you had to do something. So you went there and then this guy took this photo of you. And then, and then what, what happened? Because you met the, was it the editor of Vogue or he got in touch with you? Yeah. So actually that Vogue thing was, the Vogue thing was a few months down the line. Um, it was, okay. yeah. So, so I protested in April, then they got in touch with me early end of june early july Hello? early july mm. and they Hello? they asked me to, to 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 go for a photo shoot and michelle i still remember that phone call and i i was like shocked i was like <laughs> someone's believe it yeah i was like someone's wow. pr- someone is pranking me <laughs> this can't be mm. real um, i'm sure but then they they, they took a photo of me while I, I while i was heavily pregnant and actually the photographer now miss and harryman is like the most seeked photographer in the world i mean he just shot um, uh-huh. Uh, Harry and Meghan's Lilibet on her first birthday. Wow! Bed. Yeah, so he's he's very well sought really after. Really famous. But when I met Gosh. him, I had no idea, obviously, because I was like, "What? What is? <laughs> what is going on?" <laughs> um, I I mean, I I've obviously heard of Vogue and read read the stuff, but like, I just yeah. never imagined in my wildest dreams that not only me being on the cover, but also as a South Asian brown woman, and I was yes. pregnant as well. Like, you can see in that photo that Radhika was in my womb. Um, that's mm. why I felt it was fitting to wear that Indian dress because I thought that represents every part of my fiber. Who, who you are. Yeah, it rep- represents yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so 
yeah, I still I still go back to that day. It was in it was in in Holland Park in in London, and as a, as we were leaving, Misan said to me, "said you do realize that the September issue is the most read British Vogue issue around the world." Um, and he's like, "People like Michelle Obama will be reading this," um, and that's when I was like, "Okay, maybe I should have put a bit yeah. more makeup on." <laughs> so what? So what? I mean. What 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 changed then? What what happened then? I mean, did obviously it hasn't changed you as a person, but it's 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 helped you get out. You you've wanted to get your voice out there even more now that people know who you are. Yeah, and actually, Michelle did change me as a person. It changed it did, every yeah. part, everything that I believed in about life. Um, as I said, I was quite happy-go-lucky. I was um, mm. never had to worry. I mean, I never had to worry about being discriminated against until I came here and I thought, actually, this is a real issue. Um, and perhaps yeah. I have been discriminated against in my life, but I just chose not to see it uh, because part of my brain doesn't want to believe that exists in the world. Um, so a lot of my belief systems have changed and my, a lot of my worldviews have changed as well. Like I truly understood the importance of something simple as voting, you know? Like voting yes. can actually make a difference to people around you and it actually has an Absolutely. impact. So, yeah, it did really change me fundamentally as a person. And I think it took me a really long time to accept that change because keep in mind, Michelle, I also gave birth. <laughs> so yes. I gave birth a few a few months after I protested. So April 2020, I protested. July, I had Radhika. Um, and you must know what it's like. You go through all those hormones, yeah. that postpartum period. I was completely alone. I had no help. I was by myself. My husband was still working in A&E at the time. Mommy. So Mommy he, so he, he, I mean, he was at home, but Mommy. there were, I was mainly by myself. So when you, when you look at a pregnancy fourth Mommy. trimester, it wasn't the ideal one for me at all. Um, so it meant a lot of reflection, a lot of, unlearning as well um, and I think that's been the most difficult part but it's been the most beautiful part as well to to see how much I've been capable of learning and how much I've been capable of, of actually changing my my belief system well that that's that's what I wanted to ask you now now that now that you are an, an activist yeah um, how do you juggle day-to-day -day life you're an activist a doctor a mother a wife how do you fit everything into your day <laughs> Um, I mean, I'm not doing a good, a good job of it, Michelle, because Radhika's right here. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's part of, it's part of, I, I think it's wonderful that she's there. Oh, no, thank you, and Michelle. It's nice, um, it's nice that she's part of I it. Don't know, I don't know if your producer's going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> he um, might not, he might have something to say about it. Um, but my, 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 my life, my life is clearly all just about planning for the next day. Um, that's all it is. I have to prepare my, my work for the next day, you have to prepare Radhika for the next day. So it does always feel like I'm either trying to catch up or trying to plan ahead. Um, it's really difficult to actually stay in the moment. Um, and even when I have like interesting phone calls or when I have projects coming my way, sometimes I do feel like I'm just too tired to truly appreciate it. Um, but now I've learned to really just block everything out and focus on the job at hand. So right now I'm talking to you and um, Radhika's probably painting the floor next to me. I'm not really sure what she's doing, <laughs> but um, I'm really enjoying this this chat with you. So um, juggling is never yeah. is never something I don't I don't think I'm ever going to achieve like the perfect juggle. But I can always try my best. 
you can. And tell me something, what drives you to be so proactive? What makes you, is it just the way you are? Is it the way you've been brought up, I suppose? Uh, and are you like that with everything you do? Well, I think, Michelle, I mean, as I said, I was raised in a very traditional family and Mommy. like a lot of Mommy. South South Asian families, you know, they expected the perfect grades. Even when we were rowing in the Kalpe, um, I had to I had to be the first one. I had to be the first one there and I had to train really hard. And it was just all about it was just all about trying to achieve that perfection because we never had a leg up. We never had the finances. We never had the the social connections. We were just a four, family of four in Gibraltar trying to make it. Um, mm. So we've always understood the importance of working hard. And I I've realized that, you know, a lot of a lot of social media right now, Michelle, is all about work hard and you want to you want to show people how hard you're working. And that honesty yes. and that integrity has sort of just vanished away in the noise. Um, yeah. And, you know, someone like me who ended up on British Vogue and, you know, you think, oh, Mila must have the perfect life. She's probably getting like opportunities left, right and center. But actually, that's not the case. Like I worked hard for a few months and I'm still working hard, but doesn't mean I can stop. Um, because if course, I, you've, got to keep, you've got to keep going. Yeah. Because if, if I stop, then I actually, I can't look Radhika, Radhika in the eye and tell her, you know, it, it, as a mother as well, I want Radhika to see that hard work and I want Radhika to see of course. the really good days. I want her to see the really tough days because if, if she sees that, then subconsciously she'll have that in her head that actually change is possible. I saw my mother work really, really hard and my mom makes some change and mm. I want to do the same. So important, really important. Have you, have you come across um, any problems being a woman in the role that you're, you're, you have right now, both as a doctor and as an activist? Um, ha have you come across any, any sort of um, neg negativity because you're a woman? Um, I would say that, I as I said earlier, Michelle, I probably have. I've just probably chosen to ignore it. Um, Good. And I think, I think that a lot of the, a lot of the times that I've had opportunities come my way, I'm, I'm sure if it was a, a white male in my position, they probably would have got more money or more opportunities. And even now, Michelle, I always question, I was a brown woman standing outside Downing Street. If I was a white mm. woman with blonde hair, someone who was palatable to the media, then I could have been a movie star by now. I don't know. <laughs> These questions yeah. always go through my head because you have to. People have to question. Well, what? What? I? What? What? What, 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 what does it? What? What does a TV? What does it? TV want? What does the media want? What do people actually want to see on on the TV? And what do people actually want to see on the media? And the reality is, is a white female or white male with the perfect hair and the perfect skin. Even now, you think that. I think I think it's there in the big bigger corporations. It's definitely still yeah. there. I was completely proved wrong when Edward Enenful from Vogue <laughs> contact. I know. Um, yeah. And everybody else on that cover who came on, you know, we had Bernice King. I know. I was um, reading about that. The the incredible the the lady from um, Jesse Williams from Grey's Anatomy. Yes, and Riz Ahmed. All these people I looked up yes. to myself. They I was on yes. the same page as them. Um, so, and I, I do think, I do think it's the pandemic as well, Michelle. I do think that the pandemic has brought so much to light, so many injustices to the surface that yeah. it's almost like the world has to act. Like we just got, no, we just don't have a choice anymore. Yeah. And, um, what does the future hold for you? 
Minal, what, what do you, I mean, you've got your Minal's World, which is, um, you know, very popular. I have listened to a few of your talks and you, you talk to very interesting people about lots of cool stuff. I mean, how do you get the time to do everything? Honestly, because I'm, I'm now a podcast and it takes me a, a long time to do these things. So, you know. Yeah, I think, well, I think the, I mean, I don't have like a very philosophical answer for that, Michelle, but I, sorry, Michelle, one second. Sorry. <laughs> I don't have a very, very philosophical answer to that, Michelle, but my answer is that actually if you really believe in something and you really feel it can, it can make a difference to the world, then then you'll just work till 2 a.m., 3 a.m. if you have to. Yeah, and do whatever and, you uh, need to do, And I that's suppose. the thing, Michelle, like greatness, change, all of these things, it doesn't happen in our comfort zone. It just doesn't happen in our comfort zone. So if you actually want to make change and actually create, you know, some real, real impact... You're going to have to work bloody hard for it. Yeah, absolutely. Nothing wrong with hard work. Nothing wrong with hard work. And uh, I, that's another thing as well, Michelle. Like even as a doctor, I've realized, I've realized that with, with my work as a doctor now, I've been able to translate a lot of the things I've learned through my own campaigning and activism in the hospital. Um, and a lot of that has been my empathy and my understanding about what actually happens when, you know, patients get discharged or when patients get home, because I've really spent time trying to understand the whole system. Um, so educating yourself and learning more actually makes you much, much better in your skill set. Um, and this is something I, this is one of those messages I, I, I do want to put out that knowledge is power <laughs> and it's, you know, something that you shouldn't underestimate the more knowledge you have, the more change that you can make. Absolutely. Well, one last question, Meenal, because we've only got a few minutes left. Um, who do you look up to right now? Who do you, who do you, who inspires you? Who, who, who do you look up to? Oh, that's a tough question, inspires. Michelle. No one's really, no one's ever asked me that. Um, <laughs> I look up to my mother for her resilience um, and her dedication to her family. I look up to my father for his incredibly hard work. Um, and I actually look up to all the women behind me who actually put up through all of this before us mm. so that we can actually create change. Absolutely. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. We're running out of time because I've got it. I've, I haven't um, updated the thing. So I've only got like three or four minutes left. So thank you. Thank you so much. And you've got your baby there as well. And you're busy too. I just, it's been a pleasure to, to have um, had this moment in time with you, Minal. And I wish you all the very, very best. Lovely to hear you and keep going because we'll be looking out for you. Thank you. And seeing all the wonderful things that you're doing. So keep going and well done to you and all the very best. Thank you, Michelle. I, I very much look forward to coming back to Gibraltar um, and meeting everybody. I haven't been back for a while, but it always feels it always feels it's the right place to be. Oh, well, please let me know next time you're here because I'd love to meet you in person. Sure, Michelle. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me today. You've been listening to Women Rising, a series of talks where I've chatted to fabulous and inspirational women exclusively about their lives and their losses, their struggles and their successes, and their contribution to this world where they are empowering others and making a huge difference in our community. Thanks must go to my producer, Charlie Hurst, for putting this podcast together. Catch him at soundunit.co.uk. And a huge thank you also to Beatrice Garcia, who has designed and painted the podcast icon. She's at BeatriceGarcia.com.
Should you like to advertise your business on my podcast, please get in touch and please like and rate the show on your favorite listening platform and comment also if you can. And should you want to get in touch with me, my email is rougejib at gmail.com.